Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR and you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and uh, first up into the studio, I have to welcome Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. Morning, Craig. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. We're certainly having some mixed spring weather. <laughs> we certainly are. It's been terrific, really. And the rain's fantastic. Oh, the rain's, yes. Unbelievable, yeah. Everything's leaping out of the ground. That's exactly right. Yeah, weeds and all. Oh, yes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it sort of set us up for a good summer, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I've got roses blooming their heads off at the moment, which is fantastic. I'm sure the the rain's helped them to really come on as well. Well, it's it's really got down deep this year. It has. I mean, this time last year we'd had a couple of 35-degree days. Yep. And yep. I, I was watering my stock really every day. That's right. Yeah. I haven't, yeah. haven't looked at a hose since autumn. Yeah. So we're very pleased. How are you off with winds up in the hills? Oh, it's been pretty wild. Because <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had some we've, very strong winds. Yeah. We've lost electricity a few times. and A few pots have gone over, no doubt. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the, the top blew out of a eucalypt across the road from oh, us. Oh, did it? Landed on our neighbour's sheds. So. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I guess it's part and parcel of it, isn't it? It is. Yes. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Look, it could be worse. True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We also have to welcome back Greg Balderstone. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Pam. Uh, this is one of your only Sundays uh, when you're not out at a at a market somewhere? Yeah, yeah it's been pretty busy recently. There's rare plant fairs been on and um, uh, home and garden expo sort of things and, uh, and the farmers markets and general sort of... Uh, uh, markets that I that I do on a regular basis as well. So yeah, it's been a, a pretty busy part of the year. And uh, as Craig said, the spring's really starting to kick in now with the uh, everything shooting off. Um, but I think there was, uh, I think even last night there was sort of snow up at Mount Mass and d- d- a few flurries. I think no, yes. nothing nothing serious, no. but uh, down to about eight hundred <laughs> meters or so. So okay. it's, uh, it's been pretty cold. When I was packing the van for the market on Friday night quite late, yes. wait, too late probably, um, uh, I had to take a break for about an hour because I couldn't feel my hands up almost up to my knuckles oh, and my fingers goodness. Were, were frozen solid. It was that oh, cold, sort of packing me. the van, so probably about zero or one degree or something on, yes. on Friday night. So, yeah, it's been uh, nice and cold. I like the cold, not so much the wind though, which yeah, has been yeah. pretty horrible up at home as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing we're not getting though is any real um, warmth for the soils yet. I mean, normally by now, at this time of the year, I've planted out all my veggie garden yeah. and I'm, I'm holding back. It's just, the, yeah. it's too cold. They're not going to move. Been, the sun's been quite warm, though. There's a couple of days I've uh, been doing some stone work out in the sun and that's pretty, yeah, you, you heat up pretty quick on a sunny day. But yep. as, as you say, once the uh, the sun disappears or behind a cloud or over the horizon, it, the temperature drops by about 10 or 15 degrees. I, think, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I do think, though, that uh, generally gardeners are feeling optimistic. So hopefully they're all so. buying up, Not yet. ready to plant. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. So hopefully. Well, <laughs> soon. Hopefully soon. Yeah, a few yeah. sunny weekends of yeah. help. Yep, that would. Yeah. Yep. We also have to welcome someone who we haven't had on the gardening show for, well, quite a few years now, it's Stephen. Been a while, yeah. Stephen Wells. Um, Stephen, of course, is a registered nurse, but also a horticultural therapist. And I believe that I have to officially call you as well these days, Garden and Grounds Project Officer at Austin Hospital. I, yes, I do have a few hats that I wear you during do. my working week. It's You're a busy pretty exciting. boy. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, uh, 2015, last year, you received a Churchill Scholarship. 
Yes, yes, very uh, very humbled and very fortunate to be awarded one of those to travel overseas and um, further my learning in the field, which is fantastic. So I look forward to sharing about that this morning. Absolutely. You've been all over the place. I've had a uh, very good learn- learning experience. It's excellent, excellent. Well, we're going to have to talk all about that. Uh, before we get uh, too engrossed in some of Stephen's stories, though, um, I should get to the community announcements. Because it's spring, uh, events still are going right ahead, so it's actually quite busy for some of the events around uh, Melbourne. Uh, first up, a reminder that uh, the Art of Botanical Illustration is uh, on at the moment. It uh, opened on the 15th of October. It's running through until the 30th. Uh, it's open daily from 10 o'clock through to 4 o'clock. It's held at Domain House, which is in Dallas Brooks Drive there in Melbourne, just uh, opposite the, uh, the Royal Botanic Gardens. Um, and uh, <coughs> entry is by gold coin donation. All the works on display are for sale. And uh, judging by previous years, uh, some of the artwork is absolutely fantastic. So definitely worth uh, a trip in to, uh, to have a look at that and uh, while you're there, um, if you're going today of course, the, uh, today is the second day of the big uh, plant sale um, uh, in at uh, the Botanic Gardens there, just straight across the road. So, um, so take a peek in at that and see uh, there's lots and lots of stall holders there, there's, um, there's talks being given, so plenty for everyone and of course the uh, Growing friends of Botanic, Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne are there with lots and lots of plants for people to purchase. So that's all happening there today. But as I say, the uh, Art of Botanical Illustration is running through until the 30th if you can't get in today. Now also in conjunction with uh, the plant sale at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, uh, Cranbourne, friends of Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne, have also got their spring plant sale on today. So if you're down that area and can't get up to Melbourne, um, they are open from 10 till 4 today. They have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots for sale, priced from $3. So it's a great opportunity to purchase plants and have a look around the Australian garden while you're down there. Now, uh, also on uh, today is the second day of a succulents and cacti show and also a plant sale there for that one. It's presented by the Cactus and Succulents Society of Australia. It's uh, open from 10 through till 3 today. It's being held at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, which is on the corner of Miller Crescent and Stevenson's Road there in Mount Waverley. So that's 10 o'clock through till 3 o'clock today. Entry is $7. Children under 15 are free. Uh, today is also um, a special day at the um, University of Melbourne at their physics garden. Now, if people haven't been to that, the garden is going to be open all day today, well, 10 till 3 o'clock, um, celebrating their 160th anniversary. So um, it's, it's uh, a free event. Uh, there'll be all sorts of things happening all day. If people want to take along a picnic, they can. There will be a coffee cart on site. But starting at 10 o'clock, running through till 3 o'clock, there'll be a Kokodama workshop. This is where you can build your own Kokodama hanging plant to take home, and it's a child-friendly event. Um, there will also be outside tours and talks in the system garden. So starting 11 till 11.30, you can tour the garden with the system garden curator 
and uh, see and hear about the plant collection, the design and arrangement of the planting and the future prospects for the garden. Then 11.30 till 12, there's a rainforest tour with a fern specialist. Um, at 12 till 12.30, there's a beehive tour. You can take a look inside the system garden chimney hive there, um, which uh, and that's it's uh, a safe, child-friendly event. Then uh, 12.30 to 1, there'll be a rooftop garden tour. Um, now, this will be with uh, John Rayner, who's Director of Urban Horticulture. And there's also a photo exhibition taking place all day showing past, present and future images of the system garden, and that's located in the central tower. So a lot happening there today at the Systems Garden, University of Melbourne. Now, a few other things that I should mention that are on today. As I mentioned, it's, uh, it's a busy time of the year. Firstly, Broadmeadows and District Garden Club have got their spring show on today. That's at Wiseman House, which is on the corner of Melbourne Road and Widford Street in Glenroy. Times are 10am through till 3. Uh, there'll be a wonderful display of exhibits, including cut flowers, potted plants, floral art, vegetables and novelty entries, and a trading table will operate as well. Um, so, uh, as I say, that's at Wiseman House, corner of Melbourne Road and Widford Street in Glenroy. Now, also on today is the second day of the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society Flower Festival. That's up at the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society Hall, which is at 100 Hilton Road in Fernie Creek. Millway's reference there is 66E12, and that's open from 10 o'clock through till 4pm. Cost is $5. Members and under 14 are free. And... Uh, I will, some of the others are for a bit later, but two more that I must uh, mention. Uh, open today for Open Gardens Victoria are two gardens at uh, Macedon. One is Waterview, which is at 36 Hedwick Lane in Macedon. And the other one is Lewisham, which is at 305 Mount Macedon Road in Macedon. Now, they're both open 10 o'clock through till 4.30, so it's an opportunity to visit both of those gardens while you're in the entry uh, in the area. Entry price is $8 for each garden. Children under 18 are free. And uh, just one more quickly, the Ivanhoe Garden Club, Festa and Belfield Community Garden has their open day today, midday through till 4 o'clock, free entry for that. Uh, it's on the corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe and the adjacent garden there. Now, there'll be talks on backyard chooks and composting, veggie growing. There'll be a PowerPoint presentation on growing Asian greens and sale of Asian green seedling punnets. There'll be homemade jams, preserves, soaps and handmade cards. There'll be organic Ivanhoe honey for sale, recycled wooden planter boxes for sale, plant seeds, seedlings, demonstrations of bonsai techniques, Devonshire teas and a sausage sizzle. So all of that's happening today. Free entry there at Belfield Community Centre, corner of Oriel Road and Banksia <coughs> Street in Ivanhoe in the adjacent garden there. Well, it's uh, my high time we invited our listeners to join us for the morning. If you have a gardening question or if you'd like to make a comment on something, do give us a call. The number is nine. 419-0155. That's 9419-0155. Stephen, let's start. 
what, which country did you go to first and what were you specifically looking for? Yeah, so for my Churchill Fellow um, travels were about looking at the therapeutic gardens, uh, particularly in healthcare settings, um, but I was very keen to look at the development, the use and management of, not specifically the design, but how they've been established, what processes were in place, because I'm uh, very keen to see that gardens that get put in hospitals actually are maintained and they're long-term. Right. Um, often there can be the impetus to do it and the romance of putting a garden in and the interest and the fundraising, but then you know the, some of the processes aren't in place for it to sustain. So I was very keen. So I started <laughs> off in Singapore, okay. um, had a look at Kutek Quiet Hospital up there, uh, which was fantastic. It's a hospital that's integrated gardens throughout the whole uh, facility. So the hospital was built with gardens being very much part of the design. Right, um, right from the word go. Right from the word go. And they yep. had a rooftop garden on top of the sixth floor that was actually a productive um, garden. There was three massive big um, gardens up there that were made by the, um, uh, built at the time of the, the installation, but also then managed by volunteers and producing fruit, vegetables that they can reuse in the hospital and sell in the community. Wow. So from therapeutic spaces to productive spaces. Yes. Um, from there... Went off to the UK, saw a couple of hospitals there, one in London and then one down in Salisbury, mm-hmm. and then predominantly over in the US. Spent okay. about five weeks starting on the East Coast and worked my way through to the West Coast. Okay. So, And generally, did you find that most of these gardens are maintained by volunteers? Um, a mixture of. I think one okay. of the, there's a, a fair amount of universality in the whole thing with, with regards to fundraising um, and how they're funded, but then also how they're managed and maintained. So some of them were... Um, funded uh, with um, external companies coming in to um, procure, I mean, to maintain and look after it and um, keep it looking pretty schmick. Yep. Uh, but there were some that were volunteer-led as well. Um, okay. So uh, that also tied in with the staff that were there man- managing those spaces as well. Mm-hmm. So a couple of the places I went to had some great um, horticultural therapy programs linked with the gardens. Oh, good. So therefore they were using it. Uh, beyond just being a really nice space and um, the, the benefit of that, but to also incorporate um, garden activities as part of their rehab and recovery or um, health and wellbeing during their time in hospital. But then they were then managed, the volunteers were linked in with that program as well. Right. So by and large, did you find these were mainly linked with um, rehab hospital facilities no there's a diversity some were just you yeah, know yeah, diversity inpatient. so some i went to were children's ward um children specifically for the, that setting some were mental health facilities okay um cancer wards and cancer facilities uh, as well as rehab um so a mixture i deliberately wanted to see a broad spectrum um to see that it was you know how it transferred uh, across different settings and different client groups mm-hmm Tell us a little bit about some of the um, therapy programs that they were running. Yeah, so there's one I saw in Salisbury in um, southwest um, UK, just out of London, about an hour or so out of London, called Horatio's Garden, um, set up um, to specifically for the spinal rehab um, ward there. Uh, and the, they've organised with it, so there's a horticultural therapy program that um, staff and volunteers engage with patients as part of their recovery. You know, large planter beds um, amongst the beautiful gardens. Right. That they engage patients, getting them off the ward, um, spending time with them out there, with but also with their families as well. So that was one of the other key things that I found, that it's naturally not just about the patient, but it's also about their support network. Oh, that's great. Their family and um, friends that, you know, they are there that for, yes. for future. Yes. Um, and are very significant in the rehab 
process as well and yes. recovery. Oh, that's wonderful. So, yeah, using various different activities within the garden program. So some of them were actually specifically hands-on um, garden um, activities, propagating, planting up, replanting, um, whereas others were just about the, the aspect of being out in the garden with someone and using that space as a, an opportunity for respite. Yep, yep. Uh, so that was one, and there was a couple of other good ones that I saw over in Portland in Oregon, um, just up in northwest um, US. So that was quite a, a great example there to see some horticultural therapy programs, uh, very structured programs that had people, um, you know, volunteers were linked in with that, as I said before, and, you know, they were um, looked after. I saw a couple of great examples. One was um, general rehab um, mm-hmm. and also the children's ward and uh, also mental health facilities. So some fantastic examples out there of just how well the gardens can be used um, and not just seen as a something pretty, no, no. as great as that is, but in the context of where they are, that is actually then linked back to their recovery and their wellness. Yep, yep. Is, is anybody doing any research or documenting <laughs> outcomes from these gardens? Yeah, there, there is research around um, in, and in different contexts. So for some, they're looking at the, the therapeutic benefit of it. Um, for others, they're looking at the physiological benefits. A lot of people are doing research about our connection with nature. Right. Um, but then also within the hospital setting, yeah, there are um, qualitative and quantitative researchers that are looking at um, capturing how the value of gardens or the benefit of gardens or the connection of uh, gardening um, can actually make a difference. Mm. So there's actually one of the um, uh, one part of the, the Gardens and Grounds project here that I've uh, been doing I was very keen to get some research. Now, I'm not a researcher. I'm no. a doer. I'm a gardener. I get yes. in and do it. So I, but I respect that others are researchers. Um, so we've had um, uh, Deakin University engaged, and Rona Wirasuria had, uh, has done her PhD um, on um, research about gardens within our healthcare setting. Okay. Uh, looking at people's lived experience yep. um, of what the garden within that setting during time of hospitalisation has meant. So there's lots of research around. It's just sometimes very site-specific or uh, looking at different angles, mm. which is great. Mm. So is this um, this research taking place out at Royal Talbot or at Austin? Um, it's, it's across Austin. So Rona's actually finished it last year mm-hmm. um, and she's in the process of publishing it, um, so, which is great. So then we can get that out and share the good news. Absolutely. Um, but essentially she looked at the gardens across the three sites that had we'd had um, developed over the last few years. So the Royal Talbot that's been there for a little while now. Um, but also at the Austin and at the Repat in Heidelberg. So um, she connected and excitedly connected with staff, patients and visitors. So a spectrum of users there. Right. Which was very good. Okay. So coming coming back from from your travels, yes. how do you feel the programs here in Melbourne are stacking up? Um, I think, I mean, it's... I think they're doing very well, um, but I think with anything, there's always opportunities to learn, and I think that's the great, oh, sure. great thing about life generally. Yep. If you stop learning, then <laughs> you, you could never stop learning. There's so many different things. Yep. So I think there are I, I, there are great examples of gardens in healthcare settings here and across Australia, um, and some are quite comparable, and I think that's the spectrum. Um, there are examples where there's some really good impetus and good processes in place um, overseas, and that's where I uh, saw some of them. Um, and you know elements of that. A few people have said to me, "Oh, look, which is you know which is the key one you love the most?" And I said, "Well, I actually learnt from different places, different things, different elements of um, which yeah. is the strength of it." Yep. Um, and you know some of those things I'll, I've already started in, in sharing with others and implementing and looking to encourage them in their projects. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, yeah, as I said, the thing that I get um, a little down about is not is seeing when a great project's been put in. 
but then it sort of lost the momentum. Yes. Uh, and the, for the patients and their families, when they're sitting in a in a hospital looking out over a garden that's you know not maintained and looking um, dishevelled, you kind of go, well, that's not really that uplifting for them. No, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's um it's great to be able to get out there and just help share the message about the value of gardens um, and learn from great examples um, and bring that back as he, for here as well. Yep. How many how many therapists are there around? At the, I mean, you you were pretty well, small in number, weren't you? There for yeah, a long time. Yeah, and I think I mean, is it, it gradually growing? There, there's certainly an increase in um, awareness and um, interest in it. Um, I know. Just last week, I was up in Sydney at um, the Hort Therapy Conference up there that the uh, Cultivate New South Wales um, Association put on, and there was about 120 people there, um, which was fantastic. A lot of room full of passionate people that are. Seeing horticultural therapy used um, in different settings, Mm -hmm. community settings, healthcare settings, day programs, all sorts of places. But there is, excuse me, an increase in um, people wanting to know about it and apply it. Okay. Um, A challenge at the moment is looking at the model of education um, and and equipping people um, with the knowledge to be able to go out, but then also to educate people about the value of having a horticultural therapist so that those that come out with that knowledge actually have positions Yes. To go into, so. Yes. But I think, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it is certainly a smaller um, field, but it's a, in, certainly a lot of more interest. Mm. And I don't think that's just because I've got green coloured glasses and seeing <laughs> the world through the rosiness of green coloured glasses. Yeah. Um, but I do think there is interest because I think what resonates with people is that the benefit of connecting with the, uh, the gardens and nat- the nature and the natural mm. world, um, and particularly around health and wellbeing, whether that's in a hospital setting or at home in your own garden mm. and the value of that. Mm. Um, those of us that are gardeners, we know that. Yes, we exactly. We don't need the research to say that, but the, the, you know, we, we're actually just out there getting the message out in a different way. To, so I think it does resonate with a lot of people. Yep, yep. It doesn't seem all that long ago that um, that Basil Natoli yeah. um, was battling to just get some sort of um, gardening activity going in the, in the Royal Children's Hospital there in Parkville. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and now, well, as I say, you've, you've, you've now got several campuses under yes, your belt, yep. you know, that all believe in the value of, of gardens. Absolutely, yeah. So, so um, Basil's, uh, he's very, uh, well, pioneering in his... and he also is. And very dogged. His, he was just well, determined. <laughs> I was going to say, the other thing, he has many qualities, Basil does, and one of them is perseverance. Absolutely, yes. How, but, how do uh, you manage with the big inner city hospitals? You know, if you're dealing with something like the Royal Melbourne or, or the Alfred, where there's not a lot of space around them. No, and I think there's the likes of uh, one of our campuses, Austin Health, which is the, the main campus, is a bit like that too. It's mm. one I refer to as the mothership. You know, it's yep. the large one, which is landlocked. Um, mm-hmm. And basically these sites have... Uh, very minimal spaces because buildings get built and services get um, required. So, for me, I'm I'm looking. I'm, I always try and find the, the niches, the the nooks, yep. to make a difference where you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's one great example that I had fun with at the children's uh, outside our children's ward at the Austin, which and there's this little tiny wedge of concrete views everywhere that's mm. left over from about four different builds of the, the process but we you know, managed to get in there and do some things that were, actually did make a difference yep. so I guess it's out of adversity comes creativity <laughs> grabbing what you can very true yes and looking and going right well what's the experience there for the people patients visitors or, or um, people from the community that come in and going well can we do something there and then how do we f- then how do we find the funds you know that's yep. the next bit yes but it's about kind of Sowing the seed in the in the truest sense and saying, mm-hmm. well, here's an opportunity. Is there an interest to 
and and often it's particularly with inner city hospitals and other hospitals as well. The gardens unfortunately aren't the the priority. Yeah, and that's fine. I get that. I'm a nurse as well. I know the priority is looking after patients, but where we can often it's about letting people or or, or sharing with people that the possibilities. Mm. And then they go, oh, well, that makes sense. Well, what do we need to do to try and get a garden in that space? Yeah. So it's because their their vision is their their line of work. Um, often it's about having someone like me on board or others in that sort of role and going, can we put a green space there? Or what can we do if we had a green space? How would that impact our patients? Yeah. And then people go, oh, well, actually, let's see what we can do. So, yes, there, there are challenges. Yeah, I mean, it's very Many. noticeable for someone like me when, when you go to an inner city hospital that there is really nowhere nice... Correct. Where you can go and sit with with your your partner or whoever may be there. Absolutely, and I think that's that's the unfortunate thing is that's. I often say that I'm not I'm not necessarily doing anything new, but I'm I'm waving the green flag again. Yeah. The green flag of green spaces to say you know we need these we've lost them. Mm-hmm. You know there I think many hospitals would be the example where there used to be verdant lush gardens and yep. lawns and big trees and. And that's where you could go mm-hmm. very easily, and access was right there. But they've gone. Yeah. So yeah, there is a need for it. I think. And, I think so. Um, yeah. And I think we've we've missed that a little bit in the busyness of building sites. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know having the chance to see some of the ones uh, that I've got to see that you know rooftop gardens or mm. ground level gardens mm. where people have gone or the organisation has gone. Yes, we see the value in this. Yeah. The fundraising department have gone. Yes, we're on board as well. And then that's all part of the collaborative process. Um, and then they end up with a great project. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go, there's one that I saw was on the seventh floor, and it looked like a looked like a park. There were trees, there was lawn, and you go, wow. oh my goodness, yeah. this is on the seventh floor. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So you know it is a costly exercise. Yeah. But when it's done well, you can achieve that and have those yeah. spaces that actually do mean a lot for people. Yeah, mm. I have no doubt. Yeah. yeah, I think we yes, hospitals are hustle bustle. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just need that. Mm break out space, that space that connects you with things that aren't happening inside. Yep. Just to go, I'm not defined by what I am, what's happening inside. I'm actually, you know, I am who I am and it is important to have that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Particularly for those of us that are gardeners as well, yes. <laughs> value the outside space yeah. that we yes. go, you know, that's what we're drawn to and that's how we get better. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Well, and, and of course you can, you can start small. I mean, harking back to Basil, he started off with just, Plants in pots. Absolutely. Um, but he had them outside patients' windows and children's windows. And yes. then and then he started with a, a few pots on a trolley, which he took bedside <laughs> so that the kids could actually pot up a plant, yep. you know, get their yep. fingers in the soil and actually engage in a little bit of gardening, even though there was no official garden there on site. Yep. Yep. But by starting small, they started to realise, hey, this is, this is meaningful. This Absolutely. is achieving something. Um, quite apart from the fact that, that it gave them some beauty to look out at instead of a concrete jungle. Absolutely. I think I subscribe. One of my mantras is dream big, start small. You yes. know, have the bigger vision, but yes. start small, do what's doable and practical, yep. and then build on it. Yep. It was interesting. I went One of the hospitals I saw in um, New York um, had a horticultural therapy program. Used to have a garden, but they got uh, built on, but they now do trolley garden program. So Good. they do exactly that. And here yes. I was sitting... Watching this guy with the trolley go to the bedside yep. with potting mix, yep. with plants, all all approved by the medical staff and the team. Great. And because they've endorsed it and want it. Yes. Dirt at the bedside, on the bedside table. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this is fantastic to see. <laughs> I get infection control, but I also sit there and go, but 
you know, have been told not to do this, but here they are doing it. Yep. Right in at the bedside. Yep. And the patients were loving it. Fantastic. So this vertical gardens could play a big role there too, couldn't oh, they? Oh, yes. Yeah, there's certainly diff- very, I mean, there's great applications for those kind of things. As long as there's the maintenance and management capacity. Yep. Um, absolutely. Mm. That's where the creativity comes in. You go, right, well, I can't have a garden there, but what, what's the other thing we could do? Yep, yep. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, at the moment, you're listening to Stephen Wells, who's a registered nurse and a horticultural therapist, um, talking about uh, his trip on uh, on a Churchill Fellowship, looking at uh, some of the uh, other therapy gardens that have been established in hospitals. Um, it, it is just... Is there any... I, I, I know you've said you've, you've, you've caught up bits and pieces from different different things you've seen. Yeah. But is there something that you really struck you as saying, gosh, that's such a good idea, I really must go back and put that into place because that makes everything work so much better? One of the things that, one thing that really stuck in my mind was about funding. Um, some of the gardens that I've had seen um, were donor-funded. So in the US, the philanthropic, philanthropic environment is, is a lot different to here. Right. Um, but they had said as part of working out how much they needed to develop that garden, they included a maintenance endowment. So at that beginning stage, they said, there's a bucket of money that will be used to maintain this garden. But also beyond that, there were the fundraising department were in- engaged to actually top up that bucket. Okay. But that, that was actually established from the beginning. Yes. And I, you know, that sounds quite obvious, but that whole thing of going right, they've acknowledged that it does, does need maintenance. And um, from that point of view, that they actually have that as part of the required amount to build it. It's not just about the build. Mm-hmm. It's actually about the ongoing aspect. Um, so that was one thing that stuck in my mind. And I think the other thing that really stuck in my mind was those that were successful, the gardens and the sites, was where, were where the, a very good collaborative approach was, provi- was in place. So by that, there were the designers, there were the hospital management people, that, which included fundraising staff, um, the maintainers of the garden once it was built, um, um, allied health staff. Um, and so in that context, there was all the people that needed to be around the table. Yes. Rather than having piecemeal meetings and then going, oh, we'll catch up with them when we need to. It's actually, no, these are all the people that are going to be using and engaging this. Yep. So the collaborative approach was pretty significant. Mm. Um, sounds very obvious. You know, it's what you're doing if you're doing garden design you know, on a small scale, but in a bigger scale like that, you've got a few other factors that are required. Yes. Um, but that was one of the other key things that I think really stuck out as okay. well. Okay. I can imagine also um, ne- a, a need to bring in people like um, physiotherapists and occupational therapists absolutely too, right so. in from the from the groundwork up. Yes, and absolutely. So one of the ones that I really saw that really tapped into that was a brand new rehabilitation hospital, mm-hmm. um, and the, the landscape architect was talking to me about how he... When they built it, it was on a brand new site, so no one had, had had context to that site, and it was pretty much the building was took up the whole space. But he sat down with the physios and the OTs and, and other allied health staff and said, like, how do you see this space? How will it be used? How can we engage with it? So they And they took them a while to get their head around that because they, the, those staff hadn't sort of thought they could use it like that. Yes, right. But he, you know, they came back and workshopped ideas about how to have the, the therapy trail garden with you know paths around it, um, around the hospital with markers for the physios to go, here's the 10 
well, in, in an Australian context, the, the 10 metre mark or the 20 metre mark. Yes. And a whole lot of other different activities, but really went, right, if this is going to work, we need them to be out in the garden using it mm. and not just being what's inside, but get people outside. Mm. So a really good example. So, yes, you need to get or those that are actually going to be using the space um, because engage with it. Because otherwise it's then the garden that they go, oh, now it's yours to use. And then everyone goes, well, it actually doesn't work for us. Like it doesn't have the, these elements in. So if, unless you do have those um, important staff people yep. involved, yep. It, it has potential to have stumbling, stumbling blocks. Yep. I guess too, um, <laughs> thinking about funding for maintenance, I guess if, if, if you were going to get philanthropic people involved, maybe setting up a trust account where the money is actually earning interest and that interest can all be directed to maintenance rather than establishment of a garden. Yes, yep. Um, so that that will help to secure its longevity. Yes, and I think I um, having that sort of having engagement with fundraising um, is a very important thing. Yep. Um, because not only once the garden's done... But afterwards, that maintenance is not just about plant material maintenance, but it's about equipment and materials that have been used in there. If people are using decking, for example, for a space or timber elements, you know, they need they need maintenance. Yes. So you actually need to have them on board to say, well, ongoing, these are some of the things we'll need to replace over time. Mm. Um, and a trust, you know, that sort of aspect where you can have a bucket sitting there and earning interest. Yep. Um, might not earn too much interest at the moment, but <laughs> no <laughs> current interest rates. But yes. you know the, the 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 process and the structures in place. So yes. that's the important thing. Yes, fantastic. Okay, if you'd like to uh, join us, do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. In the studio this morning, we have Craig Wilson, Greg Balderstone, and Stephen Wells. So we'd love to hear from you. First up, we're going to uh, Wendy, who's out in Vermont South. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning, everyone. I've got one of those horrible, what flower is that questions. Right. Can you cope with that this morning? <laughs> we'll try. Okay, I've got a couple of clues. Um, look, I had the ticket and I lost it, but I know, I'm sure there's an O and an X in the word. It's a spring flowering bulb. It's flowering right now. It's a very low-growing thing. I reckon no higher than, oh, gee, seven or eight centimetres. It doesn't get taller than that. Um, it's pink, or mine's pink. It's got six petals with no obvious stamen. Is that what you call it? It's got no centre. Um, it's cute as little pink star flower with spiky, very spiky, low-growing uh, leaves. So they're like they're really spiky, like grass. Does that help at all? It's driving me nuts. There's an yeah, O and an X in the word, I think. It's, like, it's a bit hard to ID some of them without a visual, I guess. Look, I know, yes. I know. I went on to Google and I typed in little pink star flowering Melbourne <laughs> bulbs and I tried everything. The pink I through me. I, I was thinking maybe an ornithogalum or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's but, right. Or, no, and if I heard the, it. Oh, oh, the uh, onyxotis is another one, but they're yeah. quite tall, so it's, that's no, out. Really? Pol- Polyzena. Is there a radiox? Or... Uh, Rhodohypoxis. No. Rhodohypoxis. Yeah, I haven't no, it, seen any anywhere. I've just, my, my sister gave it to me and she's not around at the moment and it's just driving me mad. Rhodohypoxis yeah. that have hairy leaves, very uh, short no, hairy leaves. No, it's, no, they're spiky green leaves. The plant is so low you wouldn't see anything. Well, I can't. It's not, nothing like freesias, for example. It's really tiny, very upright, no, very upright, but really low-growing. I'm, I'm, I reckon no more than 
Gee, seven centimetres, up to, up to my knuckle, a tiny bit past my knuckle from the ground. Wendy, would there be any <coughs> chance of you being able to um, email that photo? Oh, definitely, yes, yes. Yeah, or even even on Facebook or something. <coughs> if you're on Facebook at all, I can, uh, uh, I'm on there and, and Craig is as well, so we can... Uh, all right, so maybe... if I get a photo, um, whose Facebook page, how do I get it onto Facebook page? Uh, well, you can contact me on my Facebook page, just so, Greg, I'm Greg sorry, Boulderston. I've only just tuned in. Who am I? I don't even know. Who uh, to... uh, Greg Boulderston. Greg Boulder. Uh, so so yeah. if you go to my Facebook page, you can send me a private message or or post it to my timeline or something like that. And I'm, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, or, or the Australian Bulb Exchange. Yeah, that's would a good, be a that's good, good one good too. too. Yeah. Oh, and, and then you've bulb got then you've got uh, uh, quite knowledgeable just... people from all over the world looking at it. Yeah. 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 Look, it is just the most gorgeous little thing. Tough as all get out. Mm. Know, it just comes up in spring, does a couple of weeks, and then off it goes again. Okay. Yeah, if I find out what it is, I'll let you guys know, and I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll do contact that. both of those. Excellent. Um, I'd be interested to to, to have, a, have a look and see what it is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I've certainly not seen it around. I would, I'm sure it's not rare, but I've not seen it around in other people's gardens. But like I said, it's so little, um, it possibly gets, you know, missed. I overlooked a lot, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, some of those um, things Guys, thank too. you very much. I'll take a photo now and I'll follow up. <laughs> okay, okay good on you, Wendy. Okay, bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. That number, if you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Now, I should uh, <clears throat> mention two gardens that are going to be open in two weeks' time. So not next weekend, but the following weekend. Next weekend is uh, taken up by most people with being the Cup Day um, holiday weekend. But on the following weekend, which is a Saturday the 5th and Sunday the 6th of November, there will be two gardens opening um, close to each other, uh, one at Healesville and one at Coldstream. Now, the first one is Ridgefield, which is at 58 Boundary Road in Coldstream. Uh, As per the usual opening times, it'll be 10 through to 4.30 on both days. Entry price for that is $10. Children under 18 are free. And this is a country garden of about 1.2 hectares. It's bordering a vineyard with beautiful views in all directions. It was designed by Robert Boyle in 1997. And uh, although the garden has uh, evolved, um, it's uh, the bones of the garden still bear his hallmark. So um, there's elegant walkways, there's a terraced hillside um, and uh, deep beds filled with, with shrubs, drought-tolerant perennials surrounding the house and a series of Mediterranean-style courtyards. So uh, that garden is opening in support of the Gruyer CFA. Now, the other garden, Halcyon, which is also open that same weekend of Saturday the 5th, Sunday the 6th of November, 10 through to 4.30 again, and again, entry price of $10 with children under 18 free. This is at 466 Maroondah Highway in Healesville. Now, this is a, a garden featuring mature conifers, Deciduous trees and eucalypts underplanted with cool climate shrubs. There's dry stone walls uh, that have uh, perennials, roses, uh, manicured lawns that sweep down to a pool. Uh, there's a parterre, an orchard and a walled vegetable garden all adding to the impact. Now, uh, as I mentioned, this one is um, is at 466 Maroondah Highway in Hillsville. So they're both close to each other. 
Now, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass to each of those gardens. So the first two people who like to phone in uh, can have uh, either a free double pass to Ridgefield or a free double pass to Halcyon. Uh, that number to ring in is 94190155. That's 94190155. And remember, these are both for Saturday the 5th and Sunday the 6th of November. So that's in two weekends' time. Okay, Greg, where are we up to with your garden? What's happening at the moment? It's wet. It's wet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I bought a couple of lilacs, and, you know, most people, I think, when they think about lilacs, think about the big vulgaris English lilacs. Yes, yes. But, of course, there's a whole raft of them, um, which are fantastic shrubs for Melbourne's climate. They they like the hot and dry. Okay. Um, the first one I bought in is um, Syringa laciniata, which is a cut-leafed lilac, flowering now, purple, Probably if you, if you left it alone, it would probably get to two and a half metres. Okay. But but all of them need to – well, I think they need to be pruned. Yep. I give them a good hard chop after flowering. Mm-hmm. Perfect hedging plants for an informal hedge. And they're one of those plants which can look pretty scruffy at point of sale. Right. So nobody realises what a fantastic yeah, a lot, garden plant Unfortunately, they are. a lot of our plants are like that. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's yeah, true. so they're really not seen in your mainstream nurseries. Yes. And it takes some convincing to get customers to actually buy one and put it in their garden. Well, but what I, they need to do is visit your garden while they're out in flower. But I they? know that once I've sold them to people, mm. they're back for more. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Are they perfume? Oh, absolutely. All of them are. Yeah, all of them are. And yes. There's, there's a whole raft of them, species and hybrids of these little lilacs. Okay. Yeah. And and do do most of them have the habit of suckering? Or no, not? No. Usually. It's a preferred, I think, isn't it, that they yeah. should be grafted on too generally? No, or, or... Never, never known them to sucker. Okay. Yeah, yeah any of them. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I think that the older suckering you get from the older uh, lilacs, when they uh, used was, to be grafted on the privet. privet. Yes, yeah. and it was the privet that it was, was mainly the privet that was sucker. Yes, yeah. right. Which, which no one won out of that one. And the old purple <laughs> vulgaris suckers. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. 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 Quite badly, I think. Yes, <laughs> it can it. do. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. no, never noticed this. And this, 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 the second one I bought in, Syringa Mayeri Pablin, which is a bit of a mouthful, is, is really small. Okay. Probably a metre by a metre. Yes. Yeah. Really dark pink buds, and then it opens to soft pink, almost white. God, you you never pick that as a lilac. But it's very much a lilac. Yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's so important with them to give them a chop after they flower. Right. Yeah, just once a year. Yes, fantastic. Wonderful group of shrubs. Yes. And as I say, really drought tolerant because, you know, they come from Afghanistan and Iran and places like that. Okay. So, so the, the hot and dry in Melbourne doesn't phase them at all. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. What else have you got there? A um, couple of shrubs that I grow for spring new growth. So, so this is um, Osmanthus heterophyllus purpureus doing its purpureus thing it's at the doing moment. doing a very purpureus <laughs> <Yes>. thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. The new, wow. gr- new growth is really dark that red. That is very dark, isn't it? That's right. Um, I'm a big fan of Osmanthus. I grow quite a lot of them, but this, okay. one, this one's definitely a favourite. Is, is it a perfume flower as well? Well, it's not, not such a good flower. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but it kind of compensates <laughs> kind for of everything, it. everything, yeah. Yeah, with this new growth. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the more you clip it, the more you're going to get this fabulous 
really dark, dark, dark new growth. Right. Yeah. That would be incredible planted next to some hot colours, wouldn't it? That's right, or something gold. Something, yes, gold would yeah. be fantastic, or, or, or a hot red. Um, you know, yep. I'm thinking some of those dahlias, for instance. Yep. Yeah, would be gorgeous. Or crocosmias. Yes, yes. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Um, and the, the other one I bought in was, um, it's a pieris, which doesn't flower, um, Bisbee's Dwarf. Okay. Which at the moment, I mean, I just bought a little twig in, but at the moment it's just, it's just a sheet of red. Wow. With the new foliage yes. and tiny shrub. Just okay. just gets to knee height. How, yeah. how big did the Osmanthus get? Oh, they'll grow into small trees if yeah. you leave them alone. But do you hedge them to Absolutely. a small... I hedge everything. About, an hour, <laughs> uh, about a metre or two metres or... Two metres. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'm a cereal pruner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a bonsai thing too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what That's was right. that Osmanthus again? Because that looks... Oh, I love the... Um, the new... Oh, the Pieris? Oh, sorry, the Pieris. Bisbee's Dwarf. Bisbee's Dwarf. Yeah. Nice plant. Yes, lovely. And it doesn't flower like the, the, your standard pieris do. Okay. Yeah, so it's really strictly for the new growth, which lasts for months. Yep. It looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's lovely. Yeah. And and conditions for that one? Uh, I would say morning sun. Okay. Yeah, so an easterly position. Yep. Yeah. So it doesn't need a full sun to bring out that colour? No, no, definitely not. Lovely. Yeah. And the Osmanthus are pretty robust, I yeah, think, aren't they? Yeah, they pretty yeah. well grow anywhere. Especially yeah. once they're established there. Yeah. You know, and you're hedging them, you're rejuvenating them each year and yeah. they've got a good strong root system. So I yeah. think they're underused plants in Melbourne gardens. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, not just for the foliage on that one, but as there's quite a few that have beautifully perfumed flowers. They're, they don't look much, but the, the perfume on some of the Osmanthus is uh, quite nice. They too. throw the perfume a long way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah. What else? Anything? Pacific Coast Iris, which is my favourite group. They're all Iris nominata hybrids, so right. they come from the, the northwest of the United States. Okay. The, the, the whole group's known as Pacific Coast. Small evergreen iris with a huge range of colours. And they're tough too, aren't they? They're, they're really tough. Yeah. Once they're Surprisingly established. Surprisingly tough, yeah. in fact, yeah. And, and quite happy in partial shade. Yep. Yeah. Dry, the only thing dry, is they don't dry. like lime. Okay. But I've, I've just bought in a small sample. I've probably got 10 or 15 different colours in the garden. Wow. But you can see the range. Yes. They, they come from sort of the very clearest yellow through to browns and purples and blues. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Probably 25 centimetres. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And if you know, if you're a keen gardener and you're prepared to raise them from seed, you'll get all sorts of variations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that'd quite, be fun. Yeah. They, they yeah. vary quite a lot. I know there's. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't even think they name hybrids. Do they have those particularly? There's just that they throw that many interesting it's things. Just, you just like that's a good form. Yeah. We'll keep that one. And yes, it's called okay. like you know NG four nine three or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite have the romance. No, about no, it, no, it doesn't. Does it? <laughs> yeah, I would never name them. Yeah. Yeah, because there's just too many of them. But a terrific group of plants and, and quite long flowering. I mean, iris is sort of famous for a five-minute flowering. That's yeah. right. Well, well, the individual flowers don't last very long, especially if it's in the wind and rain that we've had. But yeah. they once you've got a decent clump, they'll send up lots of flowers. And so right. you've got – and they don't flower all at once. So it's like that one, that one, and as Fantastic. that one's dying down, another one's yeah. coming yep. out. So you get a, a nice sort of A uh, real flower succession of, of yeah. yeah. And how, how long would that sort of – well, weather You'd pending. Probably get a month out yeah, of them. Yeah. About a month. Month. Yeah, six yeah. Months. That's great. And yeah. I'm not sure because I've only got a couple of different colours, and they're fairly boring ones actually. But uh, compared to some of yours, um, 
but uh, do they vary between the different colours and, and variations on their top flowering time? So if, if you had a different selection of them, you'd yeah. probably get even longer flowering out of some them. Of the, yeah. Some of them are just yeah. finish, finishing up, and, and some of them are just making buds. Yeah, yeah. So, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. They look wonderful. So yeah. you could probably do, split, spread the flowering out over at least two months easily. Probably. I think, couldn't you, yeah. Mm. And and not terribly ugly when they're not in no, flower, no. which is quite important for an iris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, and they and the flowers, unlike the unguicularis, I think it is where they yeah. they're hidden down in the foliage. Um, the Pacific Coast actually sit their flowers quite well out of the out of the leaves, well above yeah. the foliage, oh, and, that's and make a good show. Yeah. So that yes. you haven't got these purple things that you've got to hunt through the leaves. Yes, to find right. Or, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. There's just one more thing here. For, yep. It's a collector's plant for people who are into polygonatum or Solomon seals. Right. This is the hooker eye, which is a pink form. Tiny little thing. Probably gets up to 25 centimetres. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have to say I'm a bit keen on polygonatum. Yeah, they're pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. so I, I grow <laughs> I think quite I've got one of those. Of I must go and check it. The snails are probably eating it. Yeah. Um, but people who are into these sort of things would love this. Yes, yeah, right. I grow it in a pot because it's kind of lost in the garden. Right. Yeah. Well, I love how the, this, like, they are just tucked in underneath and they're That's just right. dainty. Yeah. Yes, yeah. very yeah. much. You can see it's got the same form as a Solomon seal. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you can see it's a Solomon seal straight yeah, away. Yeah, definitely. But yep. the colour's quite, quite different. Right. Yeah. The thing I like about flowers like that is that sometimes it's about the big showy flowers, mm. but sometimes about those little ones that make you stop and have a look and actually not just go past and walk, mm. but you go, oh, there it is. And you only look, stop and look at them. Yeah. They're amazing. That's right. The, yeah, the details are the – that's what gets me for – especially the bulbs are quite detailed. So yep. you yeah. know, if you want a big show on mass, you go and <clears> – <throat> excuse me – you go and buy your, your big lot of tulips or daffodils or whatever – um, but when you look at the species bulbs, you're looking at the details and the, the veining and, and flower structure and things mm. like that. They're quite, much more interesting, yeah. yeah. I guess it wouldn't be me without one cyclamen. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, the last cyclamen for the year, cyclamen repandum. Oh, look at that is, colour. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. And That's it's beautiful. really quite a tough one, repandum. Is it now? Yeah. Where okay. do they come from? Uh, Greece. Yeah, yep. Yep. Up in the hills, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just a silver-leafed form. It's such a nice. That's a well, a magenta pink. Would you say it is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's starting to self-seed in my lawn now. Oh, great! Yeah. And they're yeah, almost that's... impossible to find the tubers on rapandum because a lot of the cyclamen will they're sit quite, on the on the surface. Quite deep though. Rapandum yeah. will pull them right down. Okay. Yeah. So don't go thinking I'm going to move that pea. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. But that's fantastic if it will actually self-seed. Oh, yeah, it self-seeds yeah. quite freely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a matter of getting the initial stock, of course, yes. with, with, as with all these things. Fantastic. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Greg, let's have a chat about some of the bulbs you've brought in today. Well, I've brought a, a few in, like usual, but um, the big thing I've got today are the gladdies. So there's, I've got a few different species gladiolus that are flowering at the moment and probably – not only my favourite gladiolus, but some of my favourite plants, um, uh, which are the scented, the night-scented gladioli, so, uh, gladiolus. Um, so the first one's probably one of the more common ones, which can be a little bit weedy in some areas too, is gladiolus tristis, which is uh, uh, sort of a creamy white with uh, apple green sort of 
down inside the throat, and then on the outer petals, you've got this deep burgundy, almost black veining. Mm. It's a pretty glorious um, weed. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, it, the the often um, uh, I have these at the markets. I've sold out this year, but I have these at the markets, and I tell people where to find a nice big patch of them, which is uh, just going past Kyneton on the Calder Freeway. And between the second and third exits, they should be flowering at the moment, actually. So if you're going that way, go and have a look. Um, okay. And someone would have had a nice little clump there at their little farmhouse. And right. when they put the new freeway bypass through Kyneton, they've smeared it across the countryside because the problem with these becoming weedy isn't that they seed everywhere or sucker or um, what they do is a, a mature bulb might have 150 or 100 little pips that offshoot at the base of the bulb. Right. And if you plant a clump of them and leave them there, they're fine. They never move. They'll stay as a clump. They're a backup. It's a backup system. So if the the parent bulb's destroyed or it's washed away in a flood, these little pips are given the chance to basically germinate as seeds almost and produce parent plants. But if you get a bulldozer and smear them across the countryside, then you'll end up with 10,000 of them, (laughs) which is what's happened in the Kyneton Bypass. Right. But And people, you know, you, you can see them during the day. They're quite a nice flower, very attractive plant. Beautiful mm. um, uh, thin leaves that if you cut in a cross section almost look like a Maltese cross. Um, but at night time they've got this beautiful perfume and luckily in the studio they've well, kept the perfume this morning. And so it's one of those ones that you be, you, you've got to go out at night time just to appreciate them as well because that's when they've got this beautiful sort of peppery, freezery sort of perfume. Mm. Um, so that, that's Gladiolus tristis. One, one of its uh, relatives in the, in the Gladiolus genus is uh, Gladiolus lilaceus, which is probably one of my favourite plants. And this isn't the best specimen. It's only quite a small flower, that one. They, my big bulbs haven't sort of uh, opened up yet uh, this season. During the day, it's a terracotta orange, brick red sort of colour. And then at night time, not only does it have a perfume like Gladiolus tristis, it sort of smells like oriental lilies and cinnamon, I sort of think. It's quite a sweet, uh, beautiful perfume. But not only that, it flushes this uh, iridescent mauvey sort of colour. Okay. Uh, And... Uh, it depends on the on the weather too. So if it, if it's sort of uh, really cold and windy, it won't colour up as much. But if it's a nice, still, uh, fairly humid, uh, warmish night, uh, they go these amazing. It goes from this brick orangey sort of colour to this uh, quite deep uh, mauvey purple colour. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, so and and as I say, the perfume's just amazing. You just go out. Go, if you've got a big, I've got a big pot of them, and yep. uh, when they're in full flower, you just sort of go out and sit your head. In the middle of the pot, and <laughs> we're so far removed from Barry Humphreys, it's not funny. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, well they are, yeah. And, and the the last of the the related perfumed ones that I bought in is um, probably one of my new favourite plants. Actually, it's it's I think it's the third year I have flowered it. Let's just put it up there for Pam. Put, yeah. it, put it up near the microphone. Yeah. Um, and it's another colour changer. So during the day, it can be sort of a soft, uh, creamy brown, mm-hmm. um, and these beautiful markings, little splotchy markings in the, in the throat. Uh, throat. Uh, so this is Gladiolus recurvus. Okay. Uh, the petals are undulating along the edges, and it's just the most elegant little flower. And then at night time, again, if it's a warmish night, it can go almost to this translucent, purpley sort of colour. And the, 
perfume on that's probably one of the best ones as well. It's it's quite a strong perfume. I don't know if if, if it's got its scent on it at yeah, the moment okay. still. I can definitely. Yeah. Pick How do they go as yep. garden plants, Greg? Uh, Gladiolus recurvus uh, doesn't seem to multiply as well as Tristus and Lilaceus. So mm-hmm. Gladiolus Lilaceus, uh, Tristus is probably the most vi- you know uh, vigorous of the gro- of them growing. Lilaceus also offsets little bulbs off the bottom of the bulb, mm. um, but doesn't seem quite as vigorous as Tristus. Not a, it's not as bigger growing. It's a much it's slightly a sl- more slender. A more slight sort of plant, um, and recurvus. I'm just glad it comes through the pot every year. I, I'm yeah. I'm not really sure how long that's going to take to to bulk up to any numbers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Could be a while. <laughs> again, the the trick is to get two to flower. Uh, you know, from a different sort of gene pool, so you can cross them and get seed, and then yes, right. Then the process gets and easier. then build yeah. it up. Yes. Yeah. And, and I've got these. These are different seedlings, but this is, seems to be the only one that flowers. Okay. Um, but yeah, there, there's. Probably my favourite plants uh, these days are the, are the little beautiful little species gladiolus, especially the scented ones, because the perfume's just amazing, um, and the colour, the fact that they change colour. I've got pictures of gladiolus lilaceus. There's five different photos of the one flower, the same flower, right? And they're five completely different colours. How amazing! So yeah. er- everything from like a grey, creamy grey to um, uh, like a cerise through to the brick orange from the daytime and bright, yes. pu- bright mauve purple at night time, yeah. So it happens quite quickly. Uh, yeah, yeah, just within colour. a couple of hours it can flush. Yeah. Uh, the, the, most of the change happens around dusk and dawn sort yep. of time, but, um, uh, but also after thunderstorms I've noticed Lilaceus can flush, you know, funny greeny red colours after a thunderstorm. So you get these, you know, it goes from uh, basically an orange flower to a... A, a greeny, green, a, a greeny cream sort of colour, just in a, in an hour or so when, when a thunderstorm happens. So is that like an environmental mood ring? Yeah, So where these are plants that yeah. respond to the environment. Uh, but I'm not sure mood. exactly what does it. I think it's a combination of like wow. maybe air pressure or, or humidity or yep. um, not or you know the temp the temperature. I think it's a combination of all those things, and I think they probably colour up best. When the weather's right for their pollinators to be out, yeah, I was going to say, say it, it has to be linked to pollinators. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so if Absolutely. it's still, yeah. if it's still, and and most of these are moth pollinated in the, okay. in the wild. So, okay, yep. so if it's sort of still and and the humidity's up a little bit and it's pretty warm, then it's probably going to be at its best perfume and yes. and, and colour as well yes. uh, of, of an evening. But as I say, you've got to go out at night time and check these things. The, the first few years I had Lilaceus, I've, uh, I'd notice it. I actually, the first time I saw it was at uh, Tonkin's uh, plant stall at Mount Macedon one year. Okay. And I'd set up my stall and was having a look around. It was like nine o'clock at night or something. It was dark. Right. And there's this beautiful mauve flower on this. And I thought, that's a gladi. That's gorgeous. And it had this smell. And I went back the next day to get one and I couldn't see them. There's all these orange gladys everywhere. <laughs> and even after I'd bought it and knew what it would do, it had still... You'd go at night time and then you'd uh, see this mauve flower and then you'd go back the next day to find the mauve flower and there's no mauve flowers. No mauve. <laughs> <laughs> They're all sort of, yeah, terracotta colour. Okay, encourage you to get out in the garden at night time. That's right. It, it's a, well, it is. There's a, there's a lot happening out at night time. Yeah. And it's sort yeah. of, uh, uh, you know, there's there's quite a few things that only centred at night time and, and things obvious, like the gladys that change colour or... or um, uh, and the insect life and, yeah, the, mm. seeing... Uh, water droplets on some of the flowers that you 
tend to only get at night time a lot or, yeah, and the way it reflects in the torchlight's mm. nice yep. too, yeah. It's nice, nice to be out there at night. Fantastic to have in a pot by your back door or something so yeah. that you can easily have a quick peek every so often. And, and a smell, yeah. <laughs> and a smell, yes. yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, what else have you brought in, Greg? Well, there's um, there's a couple more Gladys. I'll just, um, this one is Gladiolus orchidiflorus, and that seems to be a really nice coloured one. That one, it's when I say coloured, they're sort of blue and green and yes, grey and yellow blue and. Shade to it. Um, these are slightly perfumed as well. Um, okay. Not not as strong as the ones I've just talked about. That's um, extraordinary. It's it's an amazing flower, and, yeah. and I pulled that out last night, and my little headlamp was running down. I was trying to take a good photo of it because it just looked perfect last night and had little droplets of water on it. And uh, um, most of my – again, I think it, se- it seems to flush a little different colour at night time as well. Um, so it's, it tends to get more blue in it at night time. Okay. And then during the day it, it's uh, uh, more green. So um, – but I think this might be a seed ra- a one I've raised from seed from different to my other uh, orchidiflorus because most of my other ones are bright green. So they're, they're sort of green and yellow. Okay, yep. Um, but this one's got definite blue. Oh, it has. Uh, blue green through it. It looks, it's almost like the colour of a, a autumn coloured hydrangea. Yes. Yeah. Like a, yeah. a blue yes. hydrangea yeah. that's starting to flush green through the autumn colour. Um, and, and they're like orchid flowers. Yeah, so they, they're little hooded um uh, orchid flowers on them. They're, they're, they're quite a nice little number, that That's one. That's beautiful. Yeah. It really um, is. And the other gladiolus I brought along, which apparently has a perfume too, although I can't detect it very well, is um, gladiolus meliusculus. And that's in the one of the shorter species, uh, probably one of the better-known relatives of its uh, gladiolus alatus, which, uh, so it's a bright orange uh, they only get to about half a foot tall, uh, maybe a foot at the most, um, and it's sort of a, a nice, rich orange with yellow throat. Um, and the the again, the, like we were saying before about the details of the plants, these you've got to go and look at them. Mm. It's not something you're going to notice from twenty feet away. No. Um, but when you look closely, the detail on these flowers is just amazing. And I don't think hybridization can get anywhere close to what you know nature's produced over mm. millions of years yes. of uh, uh, natural selection and whatnot so uh, um, yeah just the, the finer detail in these things is amazing so yeah gladiolus meliusculus seems to multiply okay it's a, a nice little rock garden or pot gladiolus okay um, and is a nice flash of orange about this time of year when uh, mm. uh, uh, and they seem to flower for ages too. The, one of the good things about gladys is you don't get one flower and a stem, you get a spike of flowers yep. and they open um, uh, successively so they're, they're not all, they don't all flush and that's it. It's sort of the bottom, they start at the bottom and work their way up the top and can have uh, multiple spikes on, on a little clump and some often have side shoot spikes. So once the main f- spike's finished, you'll get little spikes off the, off the side, the, the uh, orchidifolus. Uh, Floris has got that's a, a sort of secondary bud down yes, the bottom right. here. Yes, um, so right. Are they all South Africans, Greg? Not all of them. Uh, these ones all are, I think, from memory. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, all these ones are. But the the, glad, the gladiolus, ma- most of them come from Africa. Mm-hmm. The majority of them 
of them from South, Southern Africa. Yeah. Um, but then you also get a, a, a little cluster of different species from up in Northern Africa and yep. all, also ran, ran into the Middle East and, okay. and you know, Greece and Turkey as yep. well. Um, and they seem to all look the same. So there must have been one bulb that got up there somehow and, and, it's, and they've all sort of speci- uh, speciated off, off yep. that one okay. sort of bulb many years ago. So they've all got a very similar look up there, um, but there's some nice ones of those as well. So they're all going to be pretty suitable for Australian They're perfect gardens. here. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's, there's tropical ones too, of course, yeah. so, and subtropical ones, but they do okay too because mm. they're, they're quite tough beasts. And, um, uh, you know, if you've got heavy clay, some of the floodplain ones like the Lulaceus and Tristus can be okay. Mm. And then for the more uh, arid ones, you're looking further down in, you know, or up, up, you know, in the in the uh, gravelly soils and things of yeah. the Cape and, and whatnot, yeah. you can get other different types. But pretty much most of the South African ones, uh, especially in pots, are very very easy. And, yeah. and uh, as I say, a lot of them are quite good in the garden too. They're, they're pretty tough. You never have to dig them or, mm. um, or, or do anything particularly special in, in Victorian sort of weather. You just sort of stick them in the ground, well-drained soil, and don't feed them, don't do anything. They just come up every year and flower and the only reason you dig them so you can have more and separate them and plant them out so they multiply more yes right. yeah, but you <laughs> yeah. can generally never move them from one spot of the garden to another they always remain yeah they? yeah yeah well and the, that's a good way to if, if you want to spread bulbs around is instead of digging trying to dig up the whole clump um loosen the soil up a little bit and pick through and just pick out the big flowering bulbs yeah. and put them in your new spot right. and then leave all yep. the little pips and then within a year or two it doesn't look you've got two solid big clumps like you had originally just yeah. one you've got two after a year or two um and it's, it's a good way to shift ixias and things like mm-hmm. that because they set a lot of little bulbs off the base yes, as well yes. so you disturb the soil you pick out all the big bulbs leave all the little ones and within two years it doesn't look like you move the clump and you've got two of them now you've yep. got two clumps pretty much Fantastic. the same size yeah brilliant okay um we still have one free double pass left for the garden uh ridgefield which is at 58 boundary road in Coldstream. there so if someone would like to ring in on the number uh they can pick up that uh free double pass which will be sent out to them that's for it's open on Saturday the 5th, Sunday the 6th of November for Open Gardens Victoria. So uh, the number to call 94190155 if you'd like to uh, get that free double pass out to Ridgefield Garden. Okay, we are running through until 9.15. So if you have a gardening question that you'd like to ask, do give us a call. We've got Craig Wilson, Greg Boulderstone and Stephen Wells in the studio this morning. So uh, the number 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, when it comes to, um, to establishing a therapeutic garden, um, and this is, you know, for listeners' benefits, you, you have to specifically select plants that are going to work from the point of view of, of therapy. So I'm assuming that you're trying to engage the sensors by Absolutely, and large. Yeah, so for me, so the sensory garden at the Royal Talbot, for example, um, is a mixture of um, different plant types. So some are very much about the um, engaging the five senses, so smell, taste, touch, sound, you know, all those sort of things that actually get us to engage and feel as though you're actually amongst and in the garden rather than just looking at it. Yes. Um, so, you know, I've got 
various plants that have um, that do either have a, a great texture um, or fragrance. Um, sometimes I even have little signs saying "smell me" or "eat me" okay. um, next to them. So it is about having plants that actually invite people, and in. there is that. So that for those that actually uh, are in the garden, they get that opportunity to actually feel as though they're connecting with the garden. Now we've talked about some great fragrant plants already. That's another aspect of, of about plant choice is actually uh, incorporating those plants. So it's not necessarily about always those that can touch or feel, but those that might actually just be out in the garden and not be able to physically engage with it, but mm-hmm. actually have those those um, the plant types, the foliage, the flowers that have a beautiful fragrance that actually can engage people's uh, from a memory point of view. Yes, so sure. for an aged care setting, yes, uh, reminiscence is a, uh, a key thing as well. Oh, yes. Um, I was chatting with a colleague the other day, and she was telling me of a story where um, an elderly lady had been inside, um, hadn't been out for a, quite a few months, and her daughter asked her whether she could take her mum out. She's got this great sensory garden. She's put a lot of fragrant and sensory plants in there. This lady hadn't spoken for quite a few months. Right. But in the wheelchair, as she's going out, she leans back to her daughter and says, have you got your bag and some snips? Because for her, going into the garden was actually going for her, the memory of going, well, you just take a little bit of a cutting and you put it in a little bit of bag when you're out and about walking because, you know, that's what gardening's all about. So for her... That whole um, trigger of a memory yes. with familiar plants wow. that she went, right, this is what you do in this setting. So now her daughter takes her, her mother out quite often. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it is about having plants that actually tie in with those that are using it. So yes. an aged care setting, plant selection might be different than for a children's ward mm. or a, a general area just because of those that are – it's a bit like house – Garden design. You know, I'd design a different garden for you, or you'd design a different garden for the next person. Yes. Based on what they like and what they enjoy. Yes, sure. Um, Family connections with plants are so, so amazing. I mean, it happens to me all the time, people coming in wanting something because their mother or their grandmother had it in the garden. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing about it is, you know, gardens have, there's a story to them. Mm. Mm. And for a lot of people, that story is the richness of how they value it. Mm. Um, because it is, you know, either plants that they've had from different people yep. got collected over the years and got a bowl from Mary down the road or from Bob when she went to that garden or that nursery and then yes. all of a sudden there's this story in history um, which actually then keeps people engaged um, and they, you know, they love the gardens, you know, they want... Unfortunately, there's, you know, there's like an example, there's a rose that my dad keeps talking about that he had and I go, oh, I keep looking for it because I want that rose, but... So there are plants that are very familiar and have that linkage, which mm-hmm. people really enjoy. Yes, yes, absolutely. But the other thing about plant selection too, I think for me, one of the things I had to be very careful of was uh, choosing plants that suited the site. So they did have that sensory engagement, but also ones that were well able to be well-maintained mm. within the capacity that we had. And now, that'll be different to different sites because there'll be people at some sites with the gardens... Uh, assisted by volunteers. For others, it's about paid staff um, managing the garden, so therefore you can incorporate different plants. So I guess that's in the design of a garden is looking at what plants you want to include from a a sensory engagement, but also how they'll be able to be well-maintained over time. Yes, So that you continue to actually get that benefit. Yep, yep. Uh, You mean what's going to flourish in that climate? Yeah, yeah, and there's, you know, there's a myriad of plants. Oh, there's so many different plants of choice. It's actually about looking at that environment and going, 
what's the soil like, what's the, the, the rainfall like, you know. Is it a windy situation, etc. Yep, and how you, so, and then actually um, designing it around that as well. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the gardens at the Talbot, for example, when I started them, they were in the middle of the drought, you know, like 10 or so years ago. I used to love walking around the... I don't run for exercise. I go for a walk because I can look at everyone's garden. <laughs> and then you actually see the, the winners and the ones that are thriving or surviving and you go, right, okay, so if that's the condition that I need, this is this one will survive Yes. and give me the interest of the colour or the foliage or the flower that you're interested in. Well, I guess when you're dealing with gardens around big buildings like that, you'd have a lot of microclimates. Very true, yeah. Mm. And that can be challenging because, as we all know in a garden, sometimes you think the plant will do perfectly because mm-hmm. you, you think you've ticked all the boxes and then all of a sudden nature does its own thing and yeah. you're going, but it should survive there. <laughs> yeah. The challenge then is, yes, when you've got a variable microclimate within... Uh, there's some spots that will get wind, wind through winter and heat belting heat in summer, but shade in, in winter, but full yep. sun in summer. So it's a trick to actually then just, I guess, spend time looking and reviewing that. And if you're not there for that amount of time, ask those that are there for that, you know, staff or mm. it's like in a home garden as well. You sit there and you, you speak with the owner and go, right, so what's this like in winter and what's this like in summer? Where does the sun come? What's the heat like here? And you learn all that to, to to make it as successful as you can with plant choice. Yes, yes. But then there's always, always that little element that you go, but we want to. There's that five percent where you just try it anyway. Yeah, have a go. Oh, oh I, I know. Because the, well, the opposite time. happens too, doesn't it? Where where you succeed with something that you shouldn't. Absolutely. Or, or there's no mm-hmm. way you sh- you should have. Yes. And, and for whatever reason, it flourishes or or at least you know gives enough. For to pay its way, having it in Absolutely. that space, yeah. And I think, yeah, that, yeah you're right. It, it's, I, it's a very good point because sometimes you can get caught up in the, you know, this is the process that we need to do. But sometimes you just go, no, you just need to, yeah, give it a go. And that five percent might actually be, you know, yeah. Expanded and out you can always put something there if it doesn't do good. Oh, exactly. exactly. It gives you yeah. another opportunity to put something else. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> I heard someone say that a few years back, and I've held on to that. It's like, yes, if a plant dies, you go. Oh, oh, that's no good. But then you go, oh, get another one. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. There's the different tonal difference. There you go, right, there's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, absolutely. I've been wanting to buy that, put that plant in. <laughs> I can now. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'll go to my local nursery and get some. <laughs> so we've spoken about, um, particularly with, with elderly people, how um, memory is very much an... Uh, um, you know something that that triggers in them that 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 uh, you can you can try and really work on in a garden. When it comes to children's gardens yes. in in hospitals, what triggers are you looking for there? I would imagine much more um, colourful, bright colours for children, much more tactile, maybe. Correct. Yeah, and I think there's um, certainly the, an element of fun. You know, there is about that engaging. It's not just the soft, calming you know, hues of greens and the soft pastels. It's actually yes. about you know, sensory and enlightenment in the sense of colourful changes. You know, I, I love using plants that are a little bit different. You know, don't expect so they have different velvet effect um, leaf or the different shape of the plant, and they you know it's almost like a a bit of a Dr. Seuss kind of yes, feel to it. Yes, so there's yes. that fun and intrigue in it, um, and I think you see elements of that in different settings. Um, I know at the some children's gardens, it's about the um, the elements that actually cause intrigue so the plants are one thing but it's also sometimes about the ornaments that are in that sort of space Mm -hmm. that actually get them engaging you know i've got some large metal ants in the garden upper post okay that actually go oh wow you know they're off 
looking fun looking for that or a huge big bird's nest that I've got under a tree. Right. Um, but then also the, the the Austin Gardens there, we did that exact thing that you mentioned. We put colour up a wall of a Jack of the Beanstalk mural. Okay. Big bright planters that actually just changed that whole concrete view. So it actually yeah, it is about giving something a vibrancy. Yes. A bit of life, a bit yes. of energy. Um, and you know the fun of it, the intrigue, and the discovery of a garden that they can—it's not prescriptive, mm-hmm. but it's a sense of discovery. Yes, I they'd want to see some results too, wouldn't they, kids? I mean, they're not going to be wanting to wait for five years for something. No, no, true. <laughs> Maybe the, the radish that'll get a you know yeah. good working out because they <laughs> jump up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you incorporate edibles? Uh, I have a small amount at the Talbot in the gardens. There, um, for me, it's about timeline of management. Um, we don't have any irrigation system. We just use rainfall. But okay. I, um, I tie in with spring is my um, veggie patch time. And yep. We have some raised planters that I use that for. Okay. Uh, so because that's obviously the weather, we are meant to be a bit warmer. Talking about your going yes, back. yes. Football weekend, grand final weekend is usually my weekend to put my seedlings in the veggie patch. But yes. it's well and truly gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is about yeah having some edibles in there at different times. Uh, but I don't have a lot of edibles just because I don't have the time to no, look, that's look right. after them. It's a lot more maintenance, yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine, too, things like snapdragons, you know, fun plants yes. that yep. children can really play with and Absolutely, engage with. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, they, I haven't got any of these in, but one that jumps to mind then was the, the fuchsias where, you, you know, you technically you pop them as they... Oh, yes, The yes. flowers that just, you know... Just, <laughs> I think they're edible too, aren't they, the, the fuchsia flowers? I'm not sure on that yeah. one. I think they... Well, I've eaten them. <laughs> Well, that must be right. Oh, they're just here. sitting here next like to us. It's like peppery lettuce. Yeah. As long as it I wasn't just last night, the no, no. was fine. <laughs> it was a, it's a little uh, Magellanica, I think, a uh, right, little yep. red one. Yep. And that's, um, again, like you were saying before about memories and things, you know, early childhood memory for me was a 120-year-old one of those out the front of the house wow. I grew up in. Yep. Mm. And you'd go out and pop all the little flowers on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and watch out for bees, make yeah. sure there wasn't a bee Oh, yes. Yeah. It's it's probably the one garden where you could get away with a few dandelions that they can Absolutely, blow. Absolutely, yes. yes. You need to make the dandelion chain and yes. I mean the um daisy chain. Daisy chain, that's what yep, I mean. Yes. Yep, all of that. Anything to engage them with, with fresh air and nature Absolutely. and yeah. yeah. And I think you know, that's I think we're also there is a resurgence in broadly because I think whether this is my interpretation or not, but the the, the movement of the kitchen garden, edible gardens in schools, I wonder whether that's come about because of their parents missed that like they kind of didn't have that and they're like oh but grandma and or our parents our parents used to have it but we didn't so we we need this for our children that are coming through now yes and that might just be my interpretation of it but it's i i, I often chuckle because you know, i grew up on a market garden an orchard and that was just normal mm-hmm. and i mm. thought that's what we all did yeah. but obviously there was you know there was no i think you're right i think there's a whole generation that basically missed out on that yep so yeah. i think it's great to see it it means there's a whole lot of kids now and you know those that era's been going for a little while so they're in high school and probably coming out of that now that's right that are actually enthused about gardens and it's it's not just a well the challenge is often things are talked about gardens being oh it's it's low maintenance because they're trying to sell people to get into it Mm. and you go but it's not actually about that it's actually just about getting into it and getting excited by about you know looking i'm sitting here looking at these plants and getting transfixed by the the tiny detail of the flower exactly it's amazing i could have one of them in my garden yes (laughs) and it's that we need to encourage that more. Yes. But the low maintenance thing's a bit of a fallacy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think. Yeah, 
It's it, we, we, I guess if you're a gardener, it's not really work anyway. So it's it's sort of it's, you know you yeah. just do it to you do your garden to whatever you feel you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have something looking, you know, nice little cut hedges and and everything's raked and trimmed and everything, that's fine. And if you want a wild garden where there's stuff blooming as it comes through yep. and and you don't have weeds because everything sort of has its place and uh that's good too and you can enjoy both of them and and that's low maintenance but it well, doesn't always fit everyone's idea of what a garden should look like no. i.e. the mulch trimmed you know sort of uh shopping center car park <laughs> i guess it can <laughs> can happen so yeah it's, it just depends on on your style of gardening too i guess yeah yeah it does and i think i find every now and then people will go up oh, you know, they almost have to excuse the fact that they don't garden or that it's not their own garden's not any mm. good at home. And you go, but that's not an issue. Like, I don't care what your garden's... Like, I'm not going to come into your garden and worry about how it looks or doesn't look. It, it needs to be your garden. Yeah. And if you're a gardener, that's great. Or if you're just a tinkerer and every now and then you get out, that's great. Yeah. Um, and if we encourage them to tinker that little bit more, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, it's... We, Gardens are very personal, and I think that's the great thing. I think for me, the hospital and the context there, um, the sensory garden was a space where we actually put a whole lot of different things mm. because we knew that there were different people that came through, some that were actually gardeners and would be interested in the, the minor, the, the finer and smaller details, but others that just went, oh, I don't like gardens, but I actually like sitting out here. And you go, well, that's fine. That's mm. great. Yes, exactly. So you're catering for the different needs. Exactly. Yep, yep. No, it's wonderful. I must say, I must say too. I mean, you you drive around some of the the newer estates and things, and of course, there's very little land around each of the individual houses left for gardens. It seems to be all, you know, almost wall to wall construction. But I must say, with uh, the advent of of, of things like um, dwarfing rootstock, you know, so that people are now have much more of an opportunity to grow a couple of fruit trees, you know, yes. to grow yep. produce, even if it's on a balcony. Absolutely. They can start to achieve that now. And, and so I think people are starting to, to just get more into it because they've realised they can actually provide a bit of um, produce for themselves, yep. no matter how small a space. And I think going back to your point before, it's about starting small. Yeah. And actually for some that's probably what they need. They don't need to have the... The expectation of, oh, I've got to have this big garden. It's like, no, no, you've only got a small space. What can you do with that? Exactly. Oh, there's these flowers you could grow. There's this, these fruit fruit trees that you can plant in there or these mm. herbs that you can go and imagine. You can get people encouraged and, and engaged without having to feel as though it's a big onerous task. Exactly. And, and I don't think you need to plant something... You don't have to always plant something that's there all the time and no. looking great. You can... And bulbs are a good example of this. Something you pop in there and you don't see it. And then it pops up, does its thing, and you go, wow, look at that, yes. and enjoy yep. it while it's there, mm-hmm. and then it's gone again. And that's yep. a good way to sort of look at gardening too. It doesn't have to be there all the time, no, yeah. uh, looking great and flowering and having autumn colour and being evergreen all, all at once. It's yes, the, the, exactly. The, the, the 24-7 thing's a yeah, bit yeah. of a problem, though. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I come up against that all the time with herbaceous perennials, you know. Yeah. You tell people it disappears in winter, then they immediately lose interest. Yeah, where in actual yeah. fact it's an opportunity to plant something that comes up in winter. That's Exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's opportunities, and I think, and I think, you know, we in Victoria here, we're we're pretty fortunate. This is what I love about it: is that there is distinctive seasonality, 
And I think that's actually, you know, the rhythms of that are it's very really important. It's really interesting and, and yeah. good, yeah. So, yeah, you know, there are times when plants pop up and they have their moment to shine and you go, oh, wow, I've been waiting for you to come. Yeah. yeah. And there's that excitement. And I think, yeah, I really enjoy that. And I think it's important particularly to, particularly to have that seasonality mm. because there is enjoyment to, to, to have with waiting for it, knowing it's going to come up, and then all of yeah. a sudden it comes and you go, oh, this is the, you know, the one week of the blossoms or the two yeah, weeks yeah. of the blossoms. That's and right. Mm. And again, that's something you would have to take into account with a, a, a therapeutic garden because there has to be something there right throughout the year. So you're going to have to choose, choose plants that are going to do their thing at different times of Absolutely. the year. So there's always something there of interest. There is. And I think, you know, particularly someone in the context of aged care settings, for example, the, the idea that you, you need seasonality mm. for those that are uh, unable to get out often. Yes. But they look out onto the gardens. They actually see this changing the season, that it's not just all green all the time mm. because they need to have that changing of the season. The passing of time. And yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, but also, you know, you know, I've grown to love the deciduous time, the hospital garden, for example, or even at home, I, you know, I, I, I like things to be happening in the garden all the time, but I've also kind of go in winter and go, oh, it's kind of a little bit, you know, empty and I'm feeling a little bit empty. But then I actually, you know, to realise that that's actually time to rest. Hmm. Yes. And I use that a bit of analogy at work sometimes with people that, you know, there are times in the garden where you need a whole lot of energy. So for someone recovering, you know, we're helping you. We're giving you a whole lot of energy to recover. But then there's times when you can rest. Yes. And you build on. So, you know, it's, there is some great analogies that you can draw from gardens and health and well-being. Mm. Mm. And it's okay to rest and the garden to <laughs> have its downtime. Yes, Ready exactly. for the party time in spring. <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah. Fantastic. When these, all these wonderful flowers start coming out. Yes. Yes, yeah, a profusion now. Yeah. yeah. Perfect time to come and visit your garden, Craig. It is, yeah. I mean, everything's up and about. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, mind you, I, I try and sort of have something happening all the time. Yep. Um, early summer's pretty good too, you know, when all the perennials are starting, mm. firing up. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, into autumn there's the asters and the grasses are all flowering. So, yeah, there's always something going on. Oh, autumn in Melbourne is pretty magical. I think I it's, think the, it's best the best season. time of the year. I yes, really do. I agree. Yes. Nice settled weather. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, it's yeah. wonderful. And all that glorious colour that you can get. That's right. Mm. It's a bit frantic at the moment. But certainly a lovely time to visit the hills. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great yeah. time. With the rhododendrons. Yeah. We're so lucky to have that. Yeah. yeah, here in Melbourne, yeah, to have that sort of special place where you can grow rhododendrons. That's right. Mm. Yeah, there's not too many of them in the world. Yep. Yeah. Talking about seasonality and change, I was only remarking to um, I've got some visitors staying at the moment, and I was uh, my wisteria is out in full bloom, and then of course we had that wild weather yesterday, and I said to them, every year as soon as the wisteria comes out in full bloom. We get some wild weather. It happens yep. every year, and I yep. lose all the flowers. They get right. blown off and <laughs> stripped down. It's the same with the magnolias. No, I was yeah. going to say cherries. Yeah. Yeah. Cherries, yeah. 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 But it's funny. It happens every year, yeah. and I just think, oh, would it be nice if for one year <laughs> I could look at them for a couple of weeks? You know, well, we need a Melbourne nurseryman to breed an autumn flowering wisteria. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's the challenge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, we should tell listeners exactly where your nursery is too. 138 on Linda Mombok Road in Alinda. 
Yep. So it's on the corner of the Alinda Mombok Road and Hackett's Road. Mm-hmm. Ah, um, Periander Gardens is down Hackett's Road, so... It's also pretty fabulous at this time of the year. Yeah, so a wonderful yeah. time to go up to the hills and, right. and visit. Yeah. And you're open every day except Tuesday? Except Tuesdays, that's yep. right, 10 to 5. Okay. Yeah. Greg, which markets are you going to next next week? Are you? Where are uh, you? Actually, I don't think I've got any on next weekend. It's oh, a have fi- you? It's a fifth weekend. Oh, it's weekend. a fifth Sunday, yeah, yeah. yes. And right. I'm, I'm not opening at home much anymore because no one ever came in. So it was sort of I need, need to go and earn some money. So I'm doing a bit more stonework and gardening and things now okay. during the day and during yes. the week. But, yeah, I'm still doing most of the markets. So it's uh, Woodend and Castlemaine first weekend. Right. Uh, Kyneton and Malden the second weekend. Um, I think I'm going to have the third weekend off these days. So okay. I've, I've dropped Trentham now and I, I'll, pro- I'll probably uh, just uh, – actually, I was going to do Riddles Creek. That's what I was – so that's the third weekend, so I won't have that off. And um, uh, yesterday I was at Lansfield, which is on the fourth uh, – Lansfield Farmer's Market. It's a beautiful uh, farmer's market there um, in, the, in the middle of Lansfield, and that's on the fourth Saturday. Uh, and coming up next month, there's also the Malmesbury Fair – and I think it's on the 20th of November, but I'm not, I, oh, okay. I can't quite, it's a, a little bit too far ahead for me to be organised <laughs> enough. But yes, yeah, it's, enough. I think it's on the Sunday, on the 20th of November, in, in the Malmesbury Botanic Gardens, which has got some beautiful trees oh. worthy of having a look at. Yes, absolutely. That. There's some bunya pines there that are pretty amazing. And yeah, yeah there's some, some really nice conifers and, and different specimens that are about 140 odd, 50 years old or something. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a nice setting and. They have uh, nice, interesting stalls and it's a good space and, mm. yeah. I'll have to remind listeners, I'll look up the um, the exact details. Yeah, of I, it's not necessarily a plan. It's more like a farmer's market sort of <laughs> okay. fairy sort of. Uh, so it's got, you know, there's coffee and food and, and wine stalls and olive oil and, yep. and uh, me and, um, yeah, so, and Malmesbury's a nice place to visit, visit anyway. There's some nice buildings there and, and oh, yes. restaurants and cafes and yes. things as well, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Now, something I was going to mention, but before we do that, I'll go to our next caller. We have uh, Jill in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. Hi, Stephen. Hello. Hi, everybody else. Um, Yep. I'm passionate about the colour magenta, which is sort of a crimson magenta. And I've had since May uh, Linaria um, in that colour and Bellis Perennis, which were given to be Mother's Day by my family. Yeah. And also, I have Snapdragon there, and um, also um, a Federation Daisy, that's that deep colour. Okay. But yes, the resistance is for the third year, the red baronias um, flowering in that spot as well. Right. So it's an easterly position that gets about two and a half hours of northerly um, sun, and it's just a joy because it's just on my um, way in every day. And occasionally I pick all of the areas and uh, put them in a vase inside and then they grow again. Right. So I was just thinking that, you know, that a particular colour may cheer people. It certainly cheers my day every day. Excellent. Yeah, magenta's a good colour. It is, it is. Yeah. And I think, yes, there's, I think it's a great reminder that we do we do respond well to colour. You know, that's what you know, lifts us on a... When I'm out in the garden and you see a particular flower that pops up and you go, that's your favourite one, and you're going, uh, you know, just particularly if you're creating a garden too and you're actually putting different, you, you've put thought into mm. 
what plants you want to flower. Absolutely, yeah. when it happens, mm. yeah, that's that's exciting, and you kind of go. So it's yeah, absolutely important to to focus on flower or color, in particularly in the flower context. So that's fantastic, Jill. Mm. That's why I always love acacias because you've just come through winter. Yes, it's still feeling like winter, but suddenly you've got all these wattles bursting yep. out into. Yep. Glorious yellow sunshine, and uh, it just you know, spring's on the way, and it's yes. wonderful. I love the, those heralders, yes, the ones that herald the next season. Mm, exactly, going, they like, look the acacias look beautiful in the forest. I know when I go bushwalking, and when the acacias start flowering up in Mount Macedon in those valleys, so yep. I go off track, you know, following animal tracks and things like that. And every now and again, you get a spot where you're in a quite a steep valley. And you can see down the valley, you get, there's a gap in the trees. Mm. And when those acacias are flowering, they're sort of the mid-story underneath the, the big, tall mesmates, um, but up off the ground a little bit. And you can look down this valley and there's just this, like, line of yellow underneath yes. the canopy that sweeps yeah. down into the valley. Yeah. It's Beautiful. Pretty, pretty amazing, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, we seem to have lost Jill. Um, okay, yeah, no, no, that, I think they're absolutely wonderful, yeah, as I yeah. say, because they are a real harbinger of spring, you yeah. know, it's, it's on the way. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, the uh, the couple of I've got a cherry blossom at home, and it's about it, 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 you're saying that thing. You know, it only lasts about a week or two, depending on the weather. Yes, mm. but it's that my that's my yeah, yeah. plant in the garden that I go. Oh, we're coming out of winter. We're coming out of winter. Everything's still bare, but there's the flowers. They're <laughs> yes. coming. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Um, that number, if you'd like to join us, uh, we do have a few minutes. We're having to finish at 9.15, so do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. I wanted to quickly mention um, a new book that has just been published by Murdoch Books. Um, it's called The House and Garden at Glenmore. Um, it's a beautiful coffee table book, and it's all about... Um, uh, well, uh, Mickey uh, Robertson, who is the owner of um, of uh, Glenmore House, but it's about uh, her husband um, who went off on his own and happened to just buy, without even conferring, <laughs> conferring with her, bought an old, um, a very old, um, rumbled down old um, farmhouse uh, back in 1988 and had been vacant for six years was in a very poor state of repair, had no power or running water, and um, and uh, it's the the book is the journey of how they uh, not only restored the house but then then created more more space, other other parts of the house, and then of course they had to create the whole garden surrounding the house, and so the the whole book is is a journey from um, from the very beginning of when they bought this terrible wreck of a place right through to um to what it is today and today they they hold they they use the house and the gardens for running uh gardening workshops for running um cooking workshops all sorts of things so, so it's a working garden it's very much a working garden there's a, a, an extensive edible garden as well as a lot of um uh just beautiful landscape gardens uh trying to really fit the house and the buildings into the local mm-hmm. landscape. So it is a, a lovely book. Um, and as I say, it's just been release, released uh, by Murdoch Books. So it is available in bookshops at the moment if anyone is interested in having a look. A lot of the uh, 
the author is actually um, an interior decorator by um, by uh, trade. That's her. Uh, she she was uh, she did that for many years over in England, and then came back. She is an Australian. She came back to live in Australia. So a lot of the detail in particularly in the, the setting up the actual house and the many rooms. It gives a lot of detail on interior decorating. And then she used her decorating skills and applied those in the garden as to what, so that um, looking through windows, looking to the outside into the garden, it's um, coordinated to the inside of the house as well, that the garden's complementing, it's complementing the house. So um, a, a beautiful book. Now, I do happen to have... Um, one copy here only. So as a supporter segment this morning, if anyone is interested in uh, grabbing hold of that copy, um, I have also included uh, three packets of seeds there. Um, so if anyone's interested, it uh, recommended retail price is $60. So uh, for someone who'd like to support the 3CR Gardening Show this morning, uh, if you phone in, you can have this book for $60 or if you're wanting it posted out, $70. And you'll not only get the book, but you'll get those packets of seeds as well. Um, to uh, to secure the book and to support the 3CR Gardening Show, you need to phone Liz now in on 94190155 and she'll take down your details. So that's 94190155. It's called The House and Garden at Glenmore and, as I say, it's uh, published by Murdoch Books. We do have a couple of callers we must quickly get to. We have uh, Rod, who's in Mon Albert North. Good morning, Rod. Oh, good morning. Yes, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was just uh, listening. Is it the Stephen talking about the the gardens in the you know, um, in hospitals? Yes. And um, we've got Box Hill Hospital just not far from me, about a 10-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also, uh, if you know the area, it's got the Box Hill Gardens uh, right opposite the hospital as well. Um, and um, I was wondering whether Stephen has uh, had any involvement uh, at the Box Hill Hospital at all in terms of that sort of work. Hi, Rod. Stephen here. Uh, yes, no, I haven't had any involvement with that there, but um, always, always keen to hear about whether uh, when projects happen uh, within hospitals. So have they... I um, understand works have happened um, of late with new build. Is that right? Yeah, look, I, like I fortunately haven't had to go to the hospital very often. So, well, that's a, yeah, it's I, a good thing there. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but that area is it's it's really in becoming quite intensely developed. And as you said, yes. the, the hospital itself is. I think they built a new uh, building there, um, and also it's a busy street. And then you've got. Um, uh, basically, Box Hills being really uh, developed for apartments, right? Yep. Uh, and um, uh, I believe that the Whitehorse Council um, should be um, uh, doing a lot more in that park itself because there's so many people now living in that area that they need they need an outlet to go to a garden. Absolutely, uh, and I think that's and, yeah. So whether you can integrate, I think you know, my Billy, uh, from what I can see that. Councils need to do a bit more now uh, with so many people living in, in apartments and and uh, better gardens for people to go and, uh, you know, enjoy gardening. I yeah, guess. I agree, Rod. I think particularly in areas like that where um, there's, you know, a lot more development, so therefore there's, uh, you know, a huge increase in population in those spaces. So 
community spaces, I think the, the value of them and the importance to you know, invest more into them to get people engaged uh, is is pretty pertinent in that time. And I hope that you know, the councils are looking at it in that way because um, as particularly if a lot of high-rise um, development happens around um, transport hubs, we need to also then have that in the parks and gardens as well. Yeah, uh, I know it's a, tra- a difference between... I ride on the border of Burundara and Whitehorse, and yes. if I go to Canterbury Gardens, for instance, I think it's a fantastic, you know, historical sort of a garden. But I go to the Whitehorse count, uh, Gardens, which are also not far from me, and they're just still just big open areas of grass, a few trees, and that's it. Yeah, I think. Well, the, yeah, you. I dare say you'll get your differences between the different councils as you to the do. priorities yes. and where the the they see the, the, the their funds going. For various reasons, I'll choose to put it in different areas. But um, I think, yeah, I think we need a bit of a groundswell of um, people within the community to advocate for, you know, keeping them well, and also for them to be enjoyable and functional, not just think, the, yeah. the, the add-on uh, at the end. Yeah. Just, uh, I suppose, what prompted me to ring up is uh, we, uh, I'm very close to what they call Mon Albert Reserve. Yes. And we've been writing to the Whitehalls Council saying, uh, how about uh, improving... Uh, we've got a dog-free area there, but... Uh, uh, they've got plans to put a walking track around the oval. They haven't done it. Uh, they put all the resources into basically the cricket and the lacrosse sporting club and uh, never have any funds left to do anything, any sort of landscaping and those sorts of things. Yes. yes. Sounds familiar. It Sounds, does. Who's got the... Who's, 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 who, we uh, a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of nodding heads here. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Who's I got think the Council's pretty conservative. They're still the old way. They just put all their resources into... Mowing lawns for cricket clubs and these sorts of things, yeah. you know. Mm, mm. My my analogy with what you're talking about, Rod, is that, um, you know, in the old days, um, zoological gardens were concrete cages. Um, animals, we wondered why the animals weren't flourishing, why the animals were miserable, to be quite mm. honest. And then we build all these, these huge um, apartment blocks um, and we're not providing green space. You know, as soon as they started taking care of gardens surrounding and, and opening up the enclosures that the animals were in with lots of plant material in there. I mean, Melbourne Zoo now, it's, it's um, they've planted so much around the periphery of the enclosures that the animals don't even see the humans looking at them. Yep. They're just, they're in a different world altogether. Um, it's more like their natural environment and... And we need gardens too. I mean, we can't live in concrete jungles. We're all going to get depressed. No. We need gardens desperately. We do, we do. Yeah, for our mental health. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks for raising that, Rod. No worries, thanks. Thank Good to hear from you. Bye. No Thank you. See you then. And uh, next up we have Gloria in Bulleen. Good morning, Gloria. Oh, hi, Pam. Um, this has been a great morning talking. Oh, good. Really good. But they always are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was great and I loved hearing about all the bulbs that Craig and Greg talked about and Craig, I bought a couple of um, I think about oh, five, I think, of those um, gladiolites the very little ones and I gave you a really hard time because I said they're going to go in what have you got that can go in a, the driest part of my garden mm. amongst the sedum and, it, and you said that one that, that'll be great. And I went, 
but it's the driest part. <laughs> and uh-huh. come up, this is the second year it's come up now, and they're just well, so... They like it dry in the summer. That's right. Oh, yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's up right now, and they're just so beautiful. Yeah. I'm thrilled with them. But what I want to ask you is, uh, are you both going to be at the Botanic Gardens today? No. No, no, no I, I, uh, I'm... Actually, uh, having a day off with my daughter in the city because okay. <laughs> I don't usually get down here. But no, I, I haven't got a stall there. Okay, and I'll be up in the hills. Okay, yeah. okay, well, uh, but it'll still be on, though, will it? Oh yes, it's oh, definitely yeah. still on. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Liz, who's been answering all the calls, was out there yesterday, and she'll be out there again today. So it's all definitely happening. Well, it'll be a bit drier today. For well, hopefully yeah. today will be a better day, and yes, I think people should make the most of the opportunity. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. We've run out of time. Gosh, it always seems to go quickly. Um, but, of course, we're always back again uh, next Sunday, as usual. A big thank you to the team. Great to catch up with you again, Stephen. It's My been, pleasure. It's great to get in. It's been wonderful. And I, I, I know, just judging from listeners' comments, they've really enjoyed it too. It's it's well worth um We'll have to drag you in again sometime. Yeah, happy yeah. to come in. Fantastic. Happily. Absolutely. And always good to see you, Craig. Yep, thank you. Yep. Quickly yep. give the address again. 138 Alinda Mombok Road in Alinda. And now's the perfect time to head up there. Yep, if you want to see things in flower. Absolutely. The hills are looking superb and the copper beech trees are all just coming into light. Oh, yeah. wonderful. It's okay. just beautiful. Yep. Mm. Greg, thanks for coming in again. Thanks, Pam. Good to see all your bulbs yeah, and hear you about what's happening in the garden. see pictures on Facebook or Instagram if you're on there. Absolutely. Yep. yep, perfect. <laughs> all right. Big thank you to uh, to Liz, who's been handling all the calls. We'll be back again next Sunday. Until then, bye for now.